I want to continue on this morning in our looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We'll be in Matthew 5, 13 to open up this morning. Last week, I wanted to just kind of go over so you could fill in. We begin looking at what does a Christian look like, not what do we think it is or how do we compare it or how do I compare it to the guy next door or the girl next door or whatever, but how does Jesus look at a Christian? What is a Christian to Jesus? And this is coming right from Jesus as he preached the Sermon on the Mount. If you have a red letter edition, there's red letters all throughout uh, this writing, through this sermon, and he, he preached this word. We've seen these things here that you can fill in at the top, the setting of the sermon. We got through that part last week. Uh, the setting of the sermon, we've seen that it was, remember the context of the sermon in the Gospel of Matthew and how it fits Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how it shows the good news. Also, we looked at how it dealt first in the, in the Gospel of Matthew with the sins of people. We go back to, Genesis, uh, to Matthew 1, and the, the angel came to Joseph and said, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. And we talked about why Jesus had to come, and we looked at that. And then Matthew ends with the last eight chapters. It talks about the death of the Messiah and how it was important that we understand that. Not only did Jesus come to take and save the people from their sins, but here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he got up and taught how to do that, how to look like a Christian. He taught us. Then he showed us as he went through uh, excruciating death and being whipped and paying the price for our sins on Calvary. Then the glorious moment when he was resurrected on the third day that we celebrated just a few Sundays ago on Easter. And then at the end of Matthew, he says something very profound as what Gary and, and Danny just sang. He said, now you go and do it. You follow me, follow me what I've done, and you do the same thing. You mimic me, you model me. And so we see there uh, that. Remember the context of the sermon in the history of redemption. They had been talking about Jesus coming since the Old Testament. The new thing's coming, a new way, a new Messiah, a new covenant. And then Jesus stands up and he says, I am, a new, I am the new covenant. I have come to fulfill the law, not wipe it out, but to fulfill the law. And then we also talked about Jesus was that long-awaited redeemer, the one that would come and, and purchase us back. We talked about today the effects of sin on nature. You know, sometimes we think about sin just affecting us, affecting me, what I'm doing, my bad choices. But you know, all this craziness going on around you is the direct effect of sin. Always since the garden, death and sickness and cancer and disease and tornadoes and earthquakes. The Bible says that nature, even nature, longs and, and is eager to be made right again, to be made perfect again. Because you know back in Genesis when this world was created, there were no such thing as tornadoes. There were no such thing as earthquakes. There were no such thing as hurricanes. All this is a, a convulsion, a reaction to sin in the world. And because of that curse, we go all the way back to that and they go, there's a new way, there's a new way because of this curse. There's got to be something done. And Jesus came and broke the cycle of sin. He came right in the middle as a baby, came right in the middle of the curse of sin and all the evilness going on in this world came right in the middle of it, and he showed us how to live. He did it perfectly, and then he showed us how to die, and he showed us how to live, and he was resurrected, and now he wants us to go and tell the good news of that gospel. So not only did the history of redemption start way long time ago, guess what? We are the uh, continuers of it. God has asked us to take and carry that message on to the next generation, to the generation after that. And then the last one, he is the long-awaited kingdom. You know, his disciples and the people around him back when he was here on this earth kept asking, when are you going to set up your kingdom? 
When he, how are you going to, what are you going to do? Are you going to put a, are you going to be like the, the, the king and then you're going to put us in charge and, and we're going to have more money and we're going to have more prestige and we're going to have things good for a change. And he said, no, that's not what my kingdom looks like. And he begins to show them here in the Sermon of the Mount exactly what the kingdom of the Lord looks like today. Well, I want to start with these verses in Matthew 5, 13. And then we're going to get into the heart of the message uh, this morning. We'll see how far we go. I, I still don't know if we'll finish today, but we'll, we'll look through and continue on. I think this is very important. I don't want to rush through it. We could, we could do a flyby, you know, so to speak. We can just hit it here, here, and there. But I think when we're talking about what does a Christian look like to Jesus, we need to know that really well, all right? We need to have that etched in our brain so that when we ask those questions, when people ask us, what does a Christian look like? We don't compare it to what we think a Christian is. Say, let me tell you what Jesus says a Christian is. And we need to look at that in our heart. You know, I challenged you last Sunday that every one of us would spend time with the Lord this week and let him show you that you are his. If you claim to be his, there should be fruit there. There should be evidence there that you are his. And so I pray that God has spoke to you this week and talked to your heart and visited with you about that. Matthew 5, 13 says this, you are the salt of the earth. He's talking to us. You that have given your heart to Jesus, you that have said, I'm going to follow him. You that say, you want to be my disciple. And disciple is just a big word for a follower of Jesus. You that say you want to be a follower, you are the salt of the earth. You ever try to eat food without salt? Isn't it terrible when the doctor says you can't have salt no more? That's just, oh, it's awful. It's kind of like eating cafeteria food, you know what I mean? It just don't have no flavor. And boy, we just hit that salt, and we hit that pepper, and we, we season our, our, our food Jesus says this. He says, man, I can give you seasoning. You are to be the seasoning of this world. We talked about Jesus. Remember on the Bible series when he was talking to Peter, he said, he said I want you to be a fisher of men. He said, what are you going to do, Lord? He said, we're going to change the world. And guys, listen to me this morning. He came to give us a new heart. He came to give us a new way of looking at the world. And we cannot look at the world through our own eyes because we will look at it wrong. We will look at it jaded. We have to look at this world through Jesus' eyes. And when we quit doing that, all this junk starts covering us up. If you want to get rid of the junk and the crud that's on your life, you know, every once in a while we've got to just clean real good. It's springtime. We've got to have a good spring cleaning. Maybe this is very appropriate for this time of year. We need to clean our life up and get through all the junk and see what Jesus wants from us. You have salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? What do you do with salt that's old? You throw it out. You don't keep saying, well, I bet if I keep praying over it, it gets salty again. It don't happen. If you don't have Jesus in you to begin with, you're not going to move toward goodness. Guess what? You're going to move toward, here's some good English, badness, okay? You're going to move toward the wrong way. If you don't have Jesus in you, you're not going to move toward him. We, have, we know that even with Jesus in our life, we don't move toward him every day. But he said, you, you've got to have that. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now look at this. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and brag on you and pat you on the back. No, that they may see and be glorified and glorify your Father in heaven that they may see Jesus working in you. And they say, how do you do that? How do you keep your cool when everybody else goes crazy? 
How do you keep your family united and unified? How do you do all these things? And you say, it's not about me. I can't do this on my very best day. It's about Jesus, and you glorify Jesus. Jesus said, look, guys, here's what he's saying in our today's language. He said, I'm going to set you on a hill. He said, look, we're going public with this thing. This is going to be a new way of living. I'm fixing to go public with this, Jesus said. I'm going to start telling people the good news. I'm going to walk on this earth for the next few years here before my crucifixion, and I'm going to go public with this. And my only way that it's going to further, the only way after me that it's going to further is that people stand up and tell people and let their light shine for me. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. How comes the world's not being saved? How comes there's still billions of people that never have heard the word of Jesus? Because we're not being salty enough. Because we're not being salty enough. Let me give you another challenge this week. Go out and be salty. Go be salty for Jesus. All right, let's look at the subject of the sermon. And it's our next verses there. But the sur- subject of the sermon, this really is, is where Jesus wants them to really kind of hit home here. Now, if you would talk to a Jew of that day, and they would ask you, who is the most righteous and most religious person you know? You know who they would point at? At the Pharisees. I was reading this morning that the Pharisees had 613 do's and don'ts. They had 365 don'ts, one for every day, and they had 249 do's, one for every bone in the body and all your central organs. They had 613 things. They said, here's how you're supposed to live. By the way, they made up the rules. All right, now they tried to take God's word and kind of blend it in there, but they said, you know what? If we can keep people so confused with this, they won't understand what we're doing behind the background here. They won't understand what's going on in the shadows. They'll be so busy trying to keep all these laws and all these rules that they won't understand what we're doing in the background. And guys, listen, we said last week, I think I said it about 100 times, it's not about do's and don'ts when it comes to Jesus Christ. It's about grace. It's about him changing your life. It's about a whole new way of thinking. And so many of us today in the world think being a Christian is because I don't do this or I don't smoke or drink or chew or or I don't run around or I don't as we talked about last week I don't dance or play cards or whatever it is those vices of all time that have said I don't do those things that's not about what Jesus is talking about here that's what the Pharisees were doing they just kept loading their back up with more things just kept loading them up kept loading them up and that's what we've done as people in this world we kept loading up our backs saying if we can quit doing these things that's why we're so miserable as Christians because we're we're going to fail all right, we're going to fail, we're going to do wrong. And, and so every time we do that, we just feel like, well, pff, there's just no use going on. There's just no use trying. And what we're trying to do, guys, is we're trying to get this thing done in our own power. Oh, I'm going to be good enough. Well, we grit our teeth and we tighten up our fists and we scream, I'm going to be good for you this time, Lord. You can count on me. Remember what, Peter, what old Peter said? Lord, I'd, I'd never deny you. Lord, I... I would never talk bad about you. I'd never walk away from you. All of a sudden, Peter got within Peter's self. You know what he did? Peter said, look at me. Look at me. Look what I can do for you, Lord. And Jesus said, you know what, Peter? Without me, before the, the old rooster crows three times, in the morning, you're going to die me three times. Before the rooster crows, you're going to die me three times because you're doing this in your own power. And that's what happens, guys, when we sit there and just 
I'm going to do better, Lord. I'm going to be a good Christian this week. We go out this door every Sunday. I know we do. Yeah, I do. I'm going to be better for the Lord this week. I am going to, I, 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 I'm going to be better. We never let the Lord change our heart. We never let the Lord change our heart. Let's look at these verses here in Matthew. Verse 17, chapter 5. You do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I had not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. All right? You might want to circle that word, fulfill them. He said, I'm not trying to throw away the Ten Commandments. I'm not trying to do a whole new way. I'm not trying to let you off the hook, so to speak. And you've heard me preach from this pulpit that the Ten Commandments was a mirror. It was a mirror to show us that we could not do it without Jesus Christ. I should not kill, should not steal, honor your father and mother, had no other gods before me. You know, we had those memorized. And it was, a, it was a mirror to hold up before us and said, you know what, as hard as I try, I can't keep these. I can't do this. That's why we need Jesus. But in the same breath, it's not to say, well, I can't do it, so there's no reason trying. Jesus says, if you'll let me take you, if you'll let me fill your heart, if you'll let the Spirit live in you, then you can, you can overcome these things. You can overcome these things. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, because of that, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. What did I just say that the Pharisees done? 613 different rules. What did they just do? They went exactly against Jesus speaking right to the Pharisee group now. It's like he turned in his message and just looked right over here at him because they were listening. They wouldn't know what this guy was up to. He was a radical. He was different. And they turned right over and looked at him. And he, he just turns right and looks at him. He said, now look. He said, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others according will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. I bet they're overthinking. 613 we've added on our own. And we're going to be least? We thought we'd be the greatest. See, we think that sometimes. If I come to church and I teach a class and I'm a, I'm a deacon or I'm a song leader or I'm a preacher, I'm going to be way up there. Jesus said, you guys that think you're going to be the biggest are going to be the least. Because you're doing it with the wrong heart. You're doing it with the wrong heart. I'm better than my neighbor. I'm better than that, that kid I go to science class with. I'm better than them kids at college. I'm way better than them folks I work with. You ought to hear some of the stories they tell. Whoever thinks they're going to be greater is going to be the least. It's the wrong kind of heart. You know what our heart should do? Remember what we read last week? Blessed are those that mourn, that mourn over their sin. We are to cry for those folks so that they know Jesus. They are to break our heart. We shouldn't sit there and say, boy, I'm glad I'm not them. We should say, you know what? That person needs to know Jesus. Help me to show them, Lord, how to live. Let me be an example, not, not because of who I am, so that I can point the way to Jesus. Let me be that light on a hill. Let me be salt to a world that needs it. Boy, if this world ever needed salt, if this world ever needed encouragement, if this world ever needed love, is it not now, amen? It is now. It is now. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, here's the big verse. Here's the big verse that really got their ears. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Do what? Now remember, 
When these folks looked at the Pharisees, there wasn't anybody more religious than them. There wasn't anybody that really did church any better than them. But Jesus has said, look, that's not what I want. I want your righteousness to be greater than that. I want it to be more than that. And they thought that they had it going. They would just, I guarantee you, they sat there days and said, if I could just be as righteous as old Pharisee Phil, if I could just be as righteous as him, man, I would have it made. Because, man, he's at church, he's reading God's word, you know, all the outward things. But let me show you what God really thought about the Pharisees. Let me show you what God thought about the Pharisees. Look here in this verse, next, next screen. Over in Matthew, it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. He goes right at them, okay? He says, Whoa, stop, quit it. Quit doing what you're doing, it's wrong. You hypocrites. Boy, there's a word we hear all the time. What is a hypocrite? I've heard that word all my life. It's someone proclaiming to be something that they're not. If that's the case, we probably are all hypocrites one time or the other in our life. Probably more than we'd wish to say. Somebody that says, here I am and this is all me, and you're getting the real deal, and you're not. You're putting on a false look. You're, you're fake you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean inside the cup and dish, then also the outside will be clean. We can look like a Christian. We can show up here every Sunday and sit on the front row, and we can get our Bible out, and we can pray real loud, and we can do all those things, guys. But if the inside is not right, if the inside is, we're not sitting there thinking, Lord, help me to be what you want me to be. Rather than sitting there thinking, boy, I'm glad I'm not like that other person. You remember when they prayed in the Bible? And he stood there and he put his head up real tall and he said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this man. I thank you that I'm a lot better than this man. And over here, this old man, he just bowed his head and he goes, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. That's the heart he wants us to have. That's what a Christian looks like to Jesus. Goes all the way back to the first of, of five there. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn over their sin. Blessed are those that hunger and seek after righteousness. God, I want to be right. God, I want to be what you want me to be. Woe, he said, woe to you guys. Woe to you, all of us that are fake. And we clean up the outside and we put our tie on and we put our suit on and our pretty dress and boy, we look good. We looked apart. But he said, you stink inside. You're rotten. Two weeks ago, we had a men's fish fry. And afterward, we were supposed to take this other box of fish home. We forgot. Fred, I'm sorry. This is going to break your heart. Fish that died. But he loves catfish. But we left that box in there, and it just kind of slowly started enveloping the room during the week. Every day, they'd come in to walk, and they'd go, well, something just don't smell right. You know, but it's really not bad yet. Well, as the week went on, it got bad. I think one night Gary and Danny come in, and they'd like, you know, whew. So we went in the kitchen, and there it was, this thawed-out box of catfish in the fridge. So what's the first thing we do? We'll just take that box of catfish and throw it in the trash or outside, and it'll quit stinking. Sometimes we, we kind of hit at it, you know. We kind of wash it our Christian life, and we work at it. But we don't really get to the heart of the matter. Maybe it's bitterness way down deep. Maybe it's anger from way long time ago, and we never quite really get there. Well, the next day I come in, it's still stinking in there. 
So I start taking the fridge apart. Well, that stuff had ran. Okay, I'm going to be a little gross this morning, but we haven't had lunch yet. But that, that blood and liquid had ran down into a, a box of water down there, and it had set in the bottom, okay? Well, well, that's the problem. So I took all the water out, bottles of water, and cleaned it, took the box out, and I washed underneath. Okay, it's clean. It's good. Come back the next day, and it was awful. It was worse. I'm going, where is it? What is this? Come to find out, Danny and Gary found it one night after they worked out. All the way down underneath was the drip pan. It had went all the way down into the drip pan of the refrigerator. And there's where the stink was. You see, when we're really dealing with stink, we've got to get way down low. When you're really dealing with things in your life, guys, you've got to get to the heart of the matter. Because, hey, you could walk in that kitchen and it looked good. Those ladies had it in place. Everything was in place. It was fairly clean. Everything was good, you know. But it still stunk. It stunk. This room was clean. It stunk. But until we got way down to the deep in the heart of the matter, was we able to get the stink out of here. And guys, in our life, when we're dealing with what is sin in our life, we like to hit it on the top. You know, we like to hit it with a little lick and promise, as the old ladies used to say, you know? And we like to pray over our sin like this. Lord, forgive me my sin. By the way, uh, could you give me uh, enough money to buy that new truck? And, uh, you know, we go right over it. You know, we go right over it. Because if we really deal with our sin, it's going to get ugly. And we're going to have to get down on our hands and knees, and we're going to have to get down in places we haven't seen in a long time, and we're going to have to wash the stink out. And we don't want to deal with that. Listen, guys, there's too many of us that proclaim to know Jesus. Myself, you, you, you let God convict you however, but there's too many of us walking around that's got stink way down deep in our life. And we can't just say, forgive me, I sin, and go on. We have to get down on our hands and knees and we have to deal with the rotten stink down deep in our life so that we don't just clean up the outside. So we just don't take a quick shower and put on new clothes and yet we're still nasty on the inside. We've got to clean it up. That's what he was saying to the Pharisees. And that's what he wanted the people to get. They have been teaching you this. Jesus said, they have been teaching you this, but I have a new way. I have a new way. And it begins with your attitudes. Look down through there with me. We're going to hit some of these real quick. Look at the attitudes there as we go down through here. The subject of the sermon. The righteousness. It says, Jesus demands, next screen please. Jesus demands righteousness exceeding that of the Pharisees. And not a bigger, better look at me, Pharisee righteousness. Okay? That's how we'd say it today. Look at me. How do you live as a Christian? Well, just watch me. How should I follow the Lord? The Pharisee would say, well, just watch how I do it. But not a bigger, better look at me, right? but a totally different kind of heart righteousness. Not more righteous deeds by human effort, but more righteous hearts by divine grace. It goes back to, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. It's not that. Look here. Look there in 21. You have heard it said, I don't think it's up here, guys. I'm just going to read this. You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. They have told you this. Then Jesus says, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which is like an anger or a contempt. If you're angry with your brother or sister, anyone who says you fool will be in danger of fire and hell. 
He said, you've got to understand, you can't do this on your own. We say, oh, thou shalt not murder. Well, I've never pulled the trigger on anybody. I've never took another man's life. I'm good to go. Jesus said, that's what they say. And here's where this gets really convicting, guys. This will make you squirm in your seat and curl your toes back up to your chair. He said, you say that if you murder, you're going to have judgment. I tell you, Jesus says, if you even have anger in your heart against someone, it's like you murdered them. Woo! That's a whole new way of walking. That's a whole new way of talking. He said, I'm going to change this. I'm going to get the stink out of you. I'm going to get way down deep at your heart. Because you know what? It's hard to serve the Lord and be angry at somebody. It's hard to let your light shine when you're bitter at somebody. It's hard to be, to be what God wants you to be and be salty when you just want to just go over and punch somebody in the nose. It is. You see what he's saying? If you don't get your heart right, you're not going to figure it out. Boy, I've, I've said that a hundred times this week. Lord, what's my heart thinking here? What, what, where's my heart going? Lord, show me where my heart is thinking here. I don't, I, don't want to do, I don't want it here anymore. See, I can convince myself that I'm doing right here. My brain is a, is a what's the old commercial said? A, a brain is a terrible thing. No, it's, it's a wonderful thing. But it, my mind is a terrible thing. It used to say it's a terrible thing to waste, but it's just a terrible thing. Because I can convince myself of all kind of things. But I, keep, I have to keep saying, Lord, show me what my heart really looks like. Am I, am I dirty inside? Is there stinky, right old fish guts in my heart that I'm still not getting what you're saying? Look on down to 27. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I've never went over to her house. I've, I've never, you know. But, woo, look at her. Your thought process. Jesus said, I don't only want you lip service. I don't want you only saying what should, you should be doing. I want you thinking what you should be doing. And guys, I'm telling you, if your old mind's like mine and my old thought press is like yours, if it's like mine, that's got to be God because I've got my mind to just, sometimes I just shake my head and I go, what in the world are you thinking? Why in the world would your brain even go there? Because we're rotten at the core. Because of sin, original sin, we're, we're rotten. They said a few weeks ago in class that there's a crookedness in every one of us. And we try to fix ourselves, and we try to fix others. But I'm telling you, there is nothing in this world that will fix the crookedness that we have in our heart. There's only one thing that will fix the crookedness in us. That's Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. 31, it's been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. A different way of looking. What he was saying is, he, you guys are taking these bills of divorcement and it's not even for a, a real good reason. You're just wanting to get out of that divorce and go on to somebody else. And, and you're throwing up this certificate, you Pharisees. You're saying, well, you've got to have a certificate. Well, I've got a certificate, so I'm good to go. God loves me. And rather than trying to do what is right, and rather than trying to work through this relationship and love this person, you just skip out of that and go find someone else. And guess what? There's problems over there, too. Now, guys, listen, I hear my heart. I know there's times 
when it's abuse and, and those kind of things. But what Jesus was dealing with here was just, I'm going to go find somebody else. Here's my divorcement. Here's my bill. Here's my, here's my certificate. I'm good to go. Jesus said, you know what? If you do that for the wrong reason, if you leave her or leave him because you just didn't like him anymore, you're causing not only yourself but them to cause the next lady you marry, the next man you marry, you're causing them to live in adultery. It's a new way of thinking, boys. This is, this is revolutionary. Those Pharisees, you can see them just switching their head. Do, do what? Well, you can't fake that. Amen, there we go. There we go. That's what Jesus is trying to tell them. If you really got me, you can't fake it. Because people will find out. Verse 38, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. If they do something to you, you go do it right back. If they hurt you, you hurt them back. Boy, we love revenge in this world. Well, I'll tell you what, they're not going to get the best of me. You've heard it said that. If they do you wrong, you've got a right to do them wrong. Jesus said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. But I tell you, Jesus says, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You turn the cheek. You step up and do something no one else in the world would do. You do not repay evil with evil. You repay evil with good. How's your heart looking this morning? Don't smell any fish? You see what I mean? It's convicting, isn't it? It's convicting. How does Jesus look at a Christian? This is what he's talking about here. Man, these people were, whoo, Hosanna, Jesus, oh, I love you. Do another one of them miracles. We like those miracles. Can we have another picnic lunch? Let's feed us. We're all here. We're hungry. Do something great. Turn them fishes and loaves into something big. That's the way we live, guys. God, do something big for me. Well, I'm just so mad at God right now. God's taking me through something and I don't know why he's taking me through that. Go look in the mirror. I guarantee you, you're not there because God put you there. More than likely, you're there because you put yourself there. But it's easier to get mad at God because he's in charge. Brother Todd tells us that every week. He's in charge. Yeah, but he's not going to push his way in your life. You won't let him in. He's going to let you make every decision you want to make. That's the free will he gives you. That's how much he loves you. Isn't that amazing? That's how much he loves. He'll let you do exactly what you want to do. So the next time you find yourself smelling like catfish that's been in the refrigerator five days, don't get mad at him. Look in that mirror and say, you need, you need to get right with Jesus. You need to get right with Jesus. 43. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, stop right there, brother. Why did, let's go home right now. If I'm mad at somebody, I'm mad. Jesus said, you've heard it said, you know, love your neighbor. That's easy. Man, I love people that love me. I love people, Gary, that pat me on the back. I love them. Man, I want to hang around with them. Say some more good things. Say some more good things. That's good. Come on. I like that. Jesus said, that, that's easy. That's a given. 
It's easy to love people that love you back. That's what's wrong with the world today. We love the ones that love us back, and we hate the ones, and we really hate the ones that don't hate us. That hate us. Jesus said, I tell you, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, that will reward will you get. Are not, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Woo! That doesn't sound like to me. He said, you're not going to be able to do this, so just kind of go at it halfway. Go out there and love the people that are unlovable. That's hard. That's hard. And don't, don't walk by somebody that you don't know and say, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. He said, shake their hand too. Well, what if they said something about me? Go up there and just love them to death. Just eat them up with kindness. How do you do that? How do you, how do you go up to that person? Didn't they, didn't they say something about your family last week? That's what my God demands. That's what my God has asked me to do. He's asked me to follow him. Well, Jesus didn't do that. Hmm. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And listen to me, folks. He's sitting there saying that with hands, with nails in his hands and feet and a crown of thorns shoved on his head and a spear stuck in his side. We get upset because, I don't know, somebody said our hair looked funny or something. That's how different, that's, that's the gap between us and God. Our gap is so big. We're down, here, we're down here arguing about, you planted a bush two feet over on my yard. And Jesus is going, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. They put nails in my hands and feet, but they don't understand because they needed a Savior. As the Lord is perfect. What's that last verse say? You do likewise. That's a big demand. What's a Christian look like? Well, the world says this. Jesus said, I tell you this. <laughs> I tell you this. As we close today, one more time, like I said last week, let Jesus tell you that you are a Christian. Not what the world says a Christian looks like, but let Jesus tell you what a Christian is. And then you ask him to show you, am I yours? Not because I'm keeping 613 do's and don'ts, but because all of a sudden it breaks my heart because somebody's mad at me. All of a sudden it breaks my heart because someone is doing without All of a sudden, it breaks your heart because you don't seek after righteousness enough. I don't know why Jesus had to preach this sermon. I sure like the blessed are those at right up front, you know. That's kind of where we if, we, if I'd ask you what the Sermon on the Mount says, you'd say, oh, the blessed sermon. Happy. We like the happy sermons. I like preaching happy sermons. But guys, all of us, this, come, this beam light comes shining on me first. And so 
I thought it was important enough to share with you. We need to understand what Jesus was preaching in this sermon. And it, listen to me, and I'll quit. It's a totally different way of looking at life than what this world looks at. I guarantee if the world says to do this and you look at it from the world's eyes, you're wrong. Because Jesus just stated about eight things. The world says this, but I tell you this. And that's what it comes down to. Let's bow. Lord, you just continue to convict and to teach us. But Lord, the good thing here is if it didn't bother us, then there'd really be a problem. Lord, may we want to strive to be perfect as you are perfect. May we long to be holy and love our neighbors and even our enemies, Lord. How, how radical is that in this world today? And Lord, not to justify our sins and justify what we want to do, but to look at it with your eyes and realize, if I do that, then I will not be the light that you want me to be. I will not be the salt that you need in this world today. Lord, clean me up. Don't let me smell like rotten fish. And may I not only be clean on the outside, but Lord, may I be clean all the way to the bone through your precious blood, through what you can do for me, through your spirit to the cleansing of your blood. Lord, speak to folks this morning. May we, may we realize what price you paid so that we could have a way out, so that we could even strive to be perfect, so we could strive to be different than the world. Not that we're better than the world, not that we're better than anybody, but you've asked us through your power to set out on a new course and to follow you. Lord, may we do that today. Speak to people, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.